Buenos días a todos y a todas. En primer lugar, me gustaría agradecer a todos por vuestra asistencia al Congreso y, en segundo lugar, a la Cátedra UNESCO de Filosofía para la Paz y al Centro de Estudios para la Pau JM de las por, por haberme invitado a, a, a moderar esta primera conferencia inaugural, que tiene por título Campañas de desarme, armas nucleares, y que va a ser impartida por Ariel Denis. Os voy a contar un poquito sobre Ariel Denis. Es especialista en desarme y paz. Ha publicado numerosos libros y artículos relacionados con esta temática. Es vicepresidenta del Internacional Peace Bureau y copresidenta del Movimiento de la Paz francés, French Peace Movement, Le Mouvement de la Paix. Activista pacífica en otras redes globales tales como No a la OTAN y el Foro Social Mundial. Es directora de la oficina ICANN de Suiza. Campaña internacional para la abolición de armas nucleares en Europa, Oriente Medio y África. Esta campaña internacional para la abolición de las armas nucleares tiene por objetivo impulsar el apoyo público y gubernamental a un tratado general y verificable que prohíba y elimine las armas nucleares. El incremento de los riesgos de proliferación y el uso de las armas nucleares hace que ahora sea más importante que nunca una acción global coordinada a favor del desarme nuclear. ¿Por qué esta campaña? Nos encontramos ante una problemática, un grave problema nuclear. Las más de 20.000 armas nucleares que todavía hay repartidas por todo el planeta representan una gran amenaza. Una, una gran amenaza para el futuro de nuestra civilización. Una sola cabeza nuclear, si se denota en una gran ciudad, puede matar a millones de personas en un instante. El fracaso de las potencias nucleares en desarme ha agravado el riesgo que otros países o terroristas adquieran armas nucleares. Cuanto más dedos puedan pulsar el botón, más peligroso será el mundo. La única garantía, pues, contra la proliferación y el uso futuro de las armas nucleares es eliminarlas. El camino más realista para llegar a un mundo sin armas nucleares es una convención global. Más de dos terceras partes de todas las naciones han hecho un llamamiento desde las Naciones Unidas para que se apruebe un tratado como este. El principal obstáculo al desarme es la falta de voluntad política de estas naciones dotadas de armas. Pero esto puede cambiar si las personas, la sociedad civil en general, se levanta y exige que se toman medidas. Por tanto, el objetivo del ICANN es agrupar una amplia variedad de personas y de organizaciones humanitarias, ambientales y de defensa de los derechos humanos para aprovechar la oportunidad histórica que tenemos de conseguir la eliminación de las armas nucleares. El ICANN cree que una convención sobre armas nucleares debe ser el próximo gran objetivo de negociación de la comunidad internacional. Con una acción concertada de ámbito mundial podemos crear el impulso necesario para el cambio. Todas las partes pueden ejercer su función. Todos y cada uno de nosotros tenemos nuestro papel, nuestra responsabilidad. Nuestra tarea va desde ejercer presión a los gobiernos hasta manifestarnos en la calle, educar a los niños y niñas, cambiar la educación en las escuelas, hacer correr la voz a través de los medios de comunicación. Trabajando juntos de una manera eficaz y unificando nuestro mensaje, podemos crear una oleada irresistible de apoyo público a la abolición de las armas nucleares. Desde el ICANN, por tanto, nos invitan a todos y todas y cada uno de nosotros y nosotras a realizar acciones en el marco del Día Mundial de la Abolición de las Armas Nucleares, que tendrá lugar el próximo 25 de junio. El objetivo es deslegitimar y eliminar las armas nucleares. Esta iniciativa, que sin duda contribuirá a la creación de culturas de paz, 
se plantea una serie de exigencias políticas en torno a la abolición de las armas nucleares, aprovechando la reunión de los líderes de los cinco países eh, 5P, Estados Unidos, Rusia, Reino Unido, Francia y China, que se reunirán en París el 29 y el 30 de junio para discutir sobre sus arsenales de armas. Para reivindicar este objetivo, miles de personas de alrededor del mundo participarán en acciones para dar apoyo a estas negociaciones para promover un tratado que prohíba las armas nucleares. Por tanto, os animamos, en el marco de este Congreso, a realizar acciones desde nuestras posibilidades, desde nuestras posibilidades personales y cotidianidad. Todos podemos contribuir a la creación de culturas de paz, como se propone en las investigaciones que venimos realizando en el Instituto Interuniversitario de Desarrollo Social y Paz. Entonces, ¿cómo podemos participar? Pues poniéndonos en contacto con Lecana a través de su página web y allí nos dan un montón de ideas, eh, ejemplos, eh, sugerencias, incluso pues emails de políticos para escribirles y un montón de diversas acciones. La campaña tiene un mensaje muy claro, unirnos para reclamar pacíficamente un tratado que prohíba y elimine las armas nucleares. Y no quiero entretenerme más, vamos a dejar paso a la conferencia de Ariel Denis. Well, thank you very much to the organizers. Thank you to Mrs. Fortané, Mrs. Comins, uh, Mrs. Herrero, and uh, all the organizers for uh, this uh, very interesting and important uh, Congress. Um, it's not only important because it is my personal uh, passion, but because people are generally excluded from uh, disarmament and security debates. Uh, these debates are kept in the hands of experts, diplomats, although every armament policy is supposedly conceived in our name. Thank you also to invite uh, together different uh, campaigns. Uh, we might understand by the end of the day that uh, we and these campaigns have a lot in common. So I'm sorry. I I have to read because I am not uh, fluent in English, because mm -hmm. I'm, I'm French, and I am very sorry because I can't speak a word of Spanish, so excuse me. Um, so you must remember, and you all know there because you are all aware of that, that in his uh, perpetual peace project, Emmanuel Kant, analyzing the French Revolution and rediscovering democracy, wrote that if people would decide whether they want to go to war or not, war would, become, uh, would disappear from the surface of the earth. For Kant, the birth of democracy was synonym of peace. Badly, things have been more complicated through the years. But something we know for sure is that the involvement of citizens on peace and war issues has sometimes avoided catastrophes. In this field, one uh, famous example uh, is, uh, according to State Secretary Henry Kissinger, uh, that the millions of demonstrators and petitioners prevented the use of nuclear weapons during the Korean War. More recently, the gigantic global demonstrations of the uh, 15th of February 2003 against the war in Iraq causes major troubles to the theory of the shock of civilization and even if we could not avoid the war 
George Bush Jr. Uh, lost the political case of the war and the state leaders that supported the war lost the next elections. Overall, uh, when it comes to destroying weapons to disarmament treaties, you can be sure that pressure from public opinion is involved and, every, and very little has ever happened without people's participation. Of course, when a treaty is signed, it is a result of a great diversity of wills and efforts, and all of them are precious to win. But usually, most people do not know that their involvement has been success successful to achieve disarmament goals and to sign treaties. This is our role to spread this knowledge. My first remark uh, would be about the lack of information regarding the war issues and the arms in particular. Not only the process that lead to some uh, progresses in disarmament, but in general, the whole military-industrial machinery is largely ignored. Although the amount of means, of skills, of industrial performances, as well as the power issues and the financial issues involved in front and behind the scenes are prodigious. We should never underestimate it and use all our skills and energy to refine our strategies. My second uh, preliminary remark is that for disarmament campaigners, weapons themselves are not the major issue. Weapons are the symptom of a deadly illness and the liturgy of a broader religion, the common belief that weapons can bring security. I agree that this idea is challenged in many ways in this new century, and a growing number of people understand that weapons can only bring war and violence. In fact, just what they are supposed to avoid. This tricky reverse paradigm of security can cause some headaches, but it is highly needed to explore it. In all the campaigns focusing on the destruction of one weapon, we have to challenge this idea that weapons can bring security, and we challenge it in a concrete way and to demonstrate that it is not true. Disarmament and peace have a dialectic relation, they feed each other. I strongly believe that progressing toward disarmament brings solid stones to the building of a culture of peace. Nowadays, the global crisis is challenging our societies, societies in many aspects. Although we can seriously fear nuclear accidents, both civil and military, major threats to our security are not only military threats. They are named global warming, lack of water and food, diminishing resources, growing poverty. None of these problems can be solved on a domestic level. Dialogue and cooperation are compulsory. More to this, the rising of emerging powers, combined with the decline of the US, the growing disqualification of military means in solving international crises, the general aspiration for the implementation of human rights, equality and democracy, including democracy at the global level, have modified the frame in which the arms race is taking place. Indeed, it should be more uncomfortable to spend over $1,600 billion in military expenditure today when the financial and social crisis is affecting most countries and less than 20% of this amount would allow to reach the Millennium Goals. Over 20 years after the Cold War, 
Impressive progress has been made in the disarmament field. Their accomplishments have involved enormous amount of effort and the mobilization of millions of people. Many more remains to be done, but we can learn from the past to experiment disarmament in our lifetime. Civil society is a major actor of disarmament. Civil society has played a very significant part in bringing disarmament objectives to governmental and public attention, from the banning of cluster munitions, anti-personnel landmines, to the implementation of nuclear non-proliferation treaty, prohibiting also uh, nuclear testing. In all the cases, there have been a partnership between government, civil society actors, to bring to life the 1997 mine, uh, mine ban treaty and the 2008 cluster munitions convention. The campaign to ban nuclear testing might have lasted 20 years, but in the end we did it. The Comprehensive Test Ban Treaty was also a jewel of what dedicated citizens can achieve and how smart they can be in working closely with governments, scientists and officials to develop verification solutions and create the conditions that enabled the Conference on Disarmament to bring the CTBT to conclusion. In the field of international law, uh, women's and human rights organizations such as WILF and Amnesty International were the driving forces behind the adoption of the October 2000 UN Security Council Resolution 1325 on women, peace and security. Civil society has also engaged very actively in efforts to promote the elimination of nuclear, chemical and biological arsenals and in developing and implementing the program of action on small arms and light weapons. For all these weapon systems, civil society has worked both with governments and communities to stigmatize the use and possession of such weapons, forbid trafficking, and create and strengthen norms to drive governmental and diplomatic initiatives toward further agreements, resolutions, and treaties. The term uh, civil society in this common use is referring to non-governmental actors putting people into action. But it's much more than this when it comes to the whole lobbying forces. It can also be domestic, global, uh, and transnational. Although the term global civil society implies certain common, generally progressive goals, we must admit that part of the world is generally seriously underrepresented in many expressions of this almost global civil society. Also in disarmament field, UN-recognized NGOs include not only the ones working to control arms and prevent armed violence, but such as the many civil society groups in YANSA, International Action Network on Small Arms, but also representatives of weapons manufacturers and supporters, such as the National Rifle Association. Civil society is as diverse and multifaced as nation and culture are. What is interesting for us today is that groups of citizens from diverse countries and cultures have been and are today working together to get rid of all ranges uh, of weapons. So my second uh, point is lessons from the success. It is always very inspiring to get to know how other campaigns have built their success. In the recent times, although some steps have been accomplished in nuclear weapon fields, it is a conventional area that major victories have taken place. Landmine campaign, 
which led to the Ottawa Convention and the Cluster Munition Convention. In an article gently uh, written in 2009 in the Disarmament Forum Review by John Bory and other uh, major actors of these two campaigns, they underline a few aspects of the two campaigns that seem to have been leading to the success. Sylvie Brigaud will explain much more about these campaigns and where we are now, but I wanted to notice a few elements that could help other campaigns, uh, like our to abolish nuclear weapons. It's interesting to notice how much the Oslo process on cluster munitions benefited from the Ottawa process experience in several ways. The initiators of the Oslo process used the net network established in the Ottawa process, adapted it to build a new transnational network, which included representatives of both civil society and states. Secondly, Ottawa process provided those involved in cluster munitions uh, to work with a roadmap uh, for campaigning, and CCM uh, text adopted many structural elements of the Mine Ban Treaty. Similar to the Ottawa process, the Oslo process built a strong and broad partnership between civil society organizations, governments, and intergovernmental organizations. The role of civil society has been crucial. According to John Bory, in both the Ottawa and the Oslo process, civil society campaigns framed the issues as humanitarian problems, helped set the international agenda, sustained the process by educating state representatives, the media and the public about the problem, maintained pressure on governments to participate in the process and scrutinized the positions of governments. These processes are most, mostly inspiring for nuclear disarmament campaigners, despite some obvious differences. Third focus, the nuclear disarmament campaign. A bit of history. In 2011, it is the 66th anniversary of the first blast of nuclear weapons on the cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Do you know that it took almost 30 years for the world to be aware of the consequences of these bombings and to learn about the radiologic effects of the bomb? First, because the two cities were declared U.S. military zones and they were, the hospitals of the two cities were also U.S. military laboratories to study the effect of these weapons. And the survivors did hide their story as they were banned from the Japanese society. Abroad, during those years, little, uh, there was very little knowledge about the atrocities and the common and false idea that the atomic bomb had put an end to the Second World War opened a wide track to consider these weapons as a must-have and the uh, fifth Security Council members did all develop nuclear weapons between 45 and 64. Although the Cold War is 20 years away, there is still over 20,000 nuclear weapons in the arsenals and a few thousands are permanently on alert. It means that there is between 10 and 60 minutes between the alert, the order and the launch, depending on the state's procedures up until now, if no president have yet decided to launch a nuclear bomb, many accidents have been avoided just by chance. The Non-Proliferation Treaty. This treaty enters into force in 1970. It is regulating the nuclear weapons with uh, states with two statutes, one for nuclear weapon states and one for non-nuclear weapon states. 
The deal of this treaty is that the nuclear weapon states agree to share nuclear technology if the non-nuclear states guarantee and show the peaceful use of the technology. The International Atomic Energy Agency makes sure that these countries are respecting their commitments through inspection. On the other hand, the nuclear weapon states, through the Article 6 of the NPT, must pursue negotiations in good faith on effective measures relating to the cessation of the nuclear arms race at an early date and to nuclear disarmament. You can notice that there are no dates. This has been their obligation for four decades, and nothing much has moved. Some argue that the great benefit of the NPT has been to avoid proliferation. But in this period, four countries became nuclear power, India, Pakistan, Israel, and recently DPRK, and, the most, uh, and most of the world has become nuclearized. Nuclear weapons, uh, the nuclear weapon states conduct almost 2,000 uh, nuclear tests, most of the time in regions where people could hardly complain, and these tests have deeply affected the people and the land, and their long-term effects are still threatening. In fact, many more than the nine states I have just quoted are involved in nuclear industry that can technically lead to manufacturing a bomb. There are 26 states who have agreed to share the nuclear umbrella of the US through NATO, along with Japan, Australia, and South Korea, even if observers object that this could violate Article 1 and 2 of the NPT. Furthermore, in 2008, Mr. El Baradei, uh, director of the IAEA, pleaded, uh, pleading to accelerate nuclear disarmament, said that 30 to 40 countries could, within less one year, produce a nuclear bomb for the simple reason that there are 44 states that possess nuclear reactors. So, as the nuclear technology is now more accessible, the threat that new states, but also state and non-state entities could acquire the bomb is a realistic concern. The doomsday clock created by the pelting of atomic scientists to study and symbolize nuclear risk shows the same time than in the art of the Cold War one minute away before midnight, the hour of the blast. In fact, to avoid any nuclear bomb from blasting in the near future, there is no other alternative than to get rid of them. People have fought. They have won big successes, like the INF Treaty and the CTBT, but the question now is the following. For 40 years, the non-proliferation treaty state parties have met and have not been able to reach uh, nuclear abolition. What strategy should we ad adopt to be more efficient? Let us draw a parallel between getting rid of nuclear weapons and campaigns to quit smoking. This picture was used by the Swiss Ministry of Foreign Affairs, Ms. Calmireille, and she said, would you ask the tobacco companies to draw the anti-tobacco campaign? Of course not. With the MPT, this is what we have been doing through the years. We have gently asked the nuclear states to fulfill their obligation, and as they have the same right as the non-smoker, I mean the non-nuclear weapon state, and significantly more because they are the fifth nuclear, the fifth uh, countries of the Security Council, they have refused. And we have been waiting uh, another five years for the next NPT session. More than this, 
said Mrs. Calmire, if you continue to smoke, you seem to enjoy it, and you show no sign of quitting, how can you expect others not to start smoking? Nuclear weapons are addictive. During the debate on Trident renewal in the UK, Tony Blair admitted that the UK, starting from now, would not choose to acquire nuclear weapons. So, after being polite during 40 years with the nuclear weapon states, we have to build a strong movement to free them from nuclear weapon addiction, just like we did with smokers, until we outlawed uh, the smoking in the building where we were working and eating. It means that more nuclear-free nuclear states will have to drive the movements, and this is what they have already begun to do. A nuclear weapon convention, putting, putting an end to the step-by-step Seoul strategy, and although the NPT remains a major nuclear disarmament forum, experts, NGOs, especially IPPNW and Yalana, and some pro-disarmament states, have begun to consider building a process of nuclear abolition besides the treaty. In 1997, a group of experts drew a model of a nuclear weapon convention for abolition of nuclear weapons, inspired by the Convention on Chemical Weapons. It was presented by Costa Rica and was adopted as a thinking document of the UN by General Secretary and States, and an NGO began to refer to it. Ten years after, uh, in, 2008, uh, in 2007, the move to build up became an international campaign for abolition of nuclear weapons, ICANN. The great merit of the draft convention on nuclear weapons is that it opens the way for further negotiations, showing that to abolish nuclear weapons is possible. How destructive, powerful and prestigious they might be, nuclear weapons are also only weapons. The aim of ICANN is to encourage government to sit around table, negotiate a treaty to abolish nuclear weapons. At the last NPT review conference in May 2010, um, an interesting development uh, acquired and the uh, uh, document, final document mentions the convention. NPT calls on nuclear weapon states to undertake concrete disarmament efforts and affirms that all states need to make special efforts to establish the necessary framework to achieve and maintain a world without nuclear weapons. I still quote, the conference notes the five-point proposal for nuclear disarmament of the Secretary-General of the United Nations, which proposes, inter alia, consideration of negotiations on a nuclear weapons convention or agreement on a framework of separate mutually reinforcing instruments backed by a strong system of verification. The amount of work, brainstorming and petition signed to reach this point is amazing. Today, according to ICANN researchers, 142 governments are in favor or at least not opposed to negotiate such a convention. So how to make it happen? This momentum is growing, and you can read through the speeches of the, of the nuclear weapons promoters that they are getting nervous. But to open negotiations on nuclear disarmament, we must put some more work, broad, broad the network, convince more government to act, and build a campaign for nuclear disarmament where every single person can feel the emergency and the need to act. Our 
very strategic line is to delegitimize nuclear weapons. The first problem with nuclear weapons is democracy. Nuclear weapons have still great prestige. They inspire both too much fear and admiration. If we want to get rid of them, we need to delegitimize them. The first area of argument is to denounce their totally and truly undemocratic history. In fact, when it comes to people's opinion, even in the nuclear states, people would prefer to get rid of them. In France, 80% would support a nuclear weapon convention, 77 in the US, and almost 15 in Pakistan and more in India. In the non-nuclear countries, the figures show always over 85% people wanting to get rid of nuclear weapons. When are we consulted in this most important question involving our survival? The first global petition was the Stockholm Appeal calling for nuclear disarmament in the 50s, and it collected 4 million signatures. What progresses have been made since? Every major decision taken by governments that develop nuclear weapons was done in absence of even full government knowledge and acceptance. And of course, there have never been any democratic consultation of population. According to Professor Richard Falk, nuclear weapons are intrinsically corrosive and corruptive of democratic rules, and the state and he states that the dependence on nuclear weaponry over these decades has sapped the strength of our democratic institutions. At the global level, through years of threat and secrecy, nuclear weapons have also undermined democratic relations between states. It is their very possession that gave the fifth of the Security Council members their untouchability. Second point is security on deterrence. If 183 states live under the threat and the submission of nuclear weapons, nine states pretend that those weapons are the very core elements of their security. It is called deterrence, and it's now challenged by reality. Nuclear deterrence has been such a risky strategy fraught with the consequences of accident and unchecked aggression, bound to promote proliferation and not based on historical evidence. Small mistakes are not possible with nuclear weapons. Deterrence is the most commonly accepted quality of nuclear weapons, if only because of advocacy of using them for an unprovoked offensive war is politically and morally unacceptable. However, it is striking how widely accepted nuclear deterrence is, giving the paucity of the real evidence in support of it. It is time now to place the burden of proof on those that would retain and employ nuclear weapons and require that they demonstrate, using real evidence, what they claim for these weapons. Just two questions on deterrence. How deterrence and on how deterrence endangers security. The nuclear weapons race has fed a huge conventional weapons rate for non-state possessors to compensate, uh, and so it makes the uh, world much more insecure. The second point is the nuclear weapon states have been involved in wars, so they don't prevent war. These weapons uh, did not even prevent uh, terrorist attack upon these countries. So significantly, previous state secretaries, Schultz, Perry, Noon, and Kissinger, uh, had come to realize and prepare to admit 
that reliance on nuclear weapons from det for deterrence was, I quote, becoming increasingly hazardous and decreasingly effective. The third point is international humanitarian law. A new corpus of arguments have recently been worked on following the example of the uh, campaign on landmines. The Red Cross and other humanitarian law bodies are developing new cases related to nuclear weapons they use and threat of use. In 2007, President Obama declared clearly and with conviction America's commitment to seek the peace and security of a world without nuclear weapons. He appeared to understand that it is at stake by reminding people one nuclear weapon exploded in one city, be New York, Moscow, Islamabad, Mumbai, Tokyo, Tel Aviv, Paris or Prague, could kill hundreds of thousands of people. And no matter where it happens, there is no end to what the consequences may be for our global safety, security, society, economy, and ultimately our survival. The humanitarian consequences of a nuclear weapon explosion are obviously in contradiction with international humanitarian law. The, first fin the final document of the 2010 review conference of the NPT states also in its conclusion, the conference expresses its deep concern at the catastrophic humanitarian consequences of any use of nuclear weapons and reaffirms the need for all states at all times to comply with applicable international law, including international humanitarian law. Can, you, can we imagine any real use of nuclear weapons that would not violate humanitarian law? Can we envisage practical situations in which the government uses nuclear weapons to protect a particular country without risking the security and the survival of the majority of its people? This recognition must be the starting point for radical, radically different approach to addressing nuclear weapon dangers and fulfill numerous treaties and UN resolutions that express the importance of nuclear disarmament. Fourth point is environmental aspect. Sometimes the idea that whole life on Earth could be severely affected because of human activity is becoming more concrete with the global warming and this vision of a finished world is indeed provo provoking some changes in our lives and action. During the 60s and the 70s, much was written about the prolonged and devastating, devastating nuclear winter that would follow a nuclear war between the United States and Soviet Union, resulting in agricultural collapse and mass starvation, even for people in areas remote for, from radiation clouds. More recently, climate scientists have calculated the effect of a regional nuclear war in which 100 uh, Hiroshima-sized bombs, uh, only 3% of the explosive yield of the current global nuclear arsenal are used in a subtropical, subtropical region, let's say South Asia. Using state-of-art climate and environmental modeling, the authors argued that a large and long-lasting climate change would follow the abrupt cooling resulting from smoke clouds that would be lofted into the high stratosphere, entombing the earth and stifling agriculture. It could really be mutually fruitful that the different actors working on climate change and global warming integrate also nuclear disarmament in their consideration to protect the planet. Little fifth point is about the economical burden. The economic side of nuclear weapons is heavily underestimated. The experts 
estimate that the cost strictly linked to the development of this weapon is between 65 and 100 billion dollars. But this does not include the whole nuclear uh, fuel chain, of course. The cost of secrecy, the experiments, the manufacturing, not only uh, of the nuclear charge, but on the vectors from the missile to the aircraft carriers and the nuclear submarines. In fact, the nine nuclear powers spend more than the two-thirds of the world military expenditures, which came up to 106 $1,630 billion in 2010. Highest in the hit parade of weapons, nuclear weapons are driving the whole military industry. They have also been a major ally of the nuclear energy industry. As many countries understood, they should make sacrifice to acquire nuclear facilities, as it was not only a matter of energy, but it was seen as a matter of defense and security. As the nuclear weapon security qualities are more and more questioned. An historical event occurred in the UK recently. The government postponed the decision on the renewal of the UK nuclear arsenal to the next elections because of the cost of the Trident renewal. This is the result of the amazing work of the campaign for nuclear disarmament and a good example of a successful civil society campaign. So my Final point is create an irresistible momentum. Since uh, 2007, the ICANN campaign is considerably broadening. More than 200 organizations in 60 countries have joined the campaign, with international physicians uh, for prevention of nuclear war and mayors for peace among the creators. <clears throat> All major actors and NGO uh, networks of nuclear disarmament have joined the campaign. Notable figures like uh, uh, ambassadors that we just saw um, uh, have joined the campaign and with their support we have taken our message to new constituencies. In the lead-up of the NPT review conference in May 2010, ICANN coordinated a global lobbying effort aimed to bring the idea of a nuclear weapons convention into the mainstream of the nuclear debate as a legitimate, practical and near-term objective to complement and strengthen the non-proliferation regime. This strategy brought fruit when the final document of the conference recognized the importance of a comprehensive treaty approach, paving the way for concerted action on a convention. This strategy bore fruit, <laughs> also building uh, on the unprecedented level of support for a nuclear weapons convention generated at the NPT review conference, ICANN is now working to strengthen the commitment of civil society and governments to prioritize a nuclear weapon convention as the next big negotiating objective of the international community. We are seeking the full backing of major international and national humanitarian, human rights, anti-war, environmental and disarmament organizations and want to work closely with supportive governments. Civil society and non-governmental organizations have maintained a vision of nuclear disarmament, pushing for the elimination since the inception of these weapons. We have seen massive surges of public sentiment and activism, and even a number of leaps forward. But disarmament diplomacy has failed 
too often, and inconsistent government action has made the fundamental goal of complete elimination seem at times unreachable. In order for governments to find sufficient impetus to fulfill the promise of a world free of nuclear weapons, a new and dynamic partnership of government, civil society, technical, legal and scientific experts is required, based fundamentally on a common belief that we can now achieve this goal. The failure to do so is not an option for those of us who envisage a more peaceful and secure future for humanity. Thank you very much. Yes. And uh, I'm very sorry for my accent, which sounds terrible. Muchas gracias, Ariel, por tu clara e interesante exposición. Y trataremos de hacer las exposiciones en breves para dejar bastante tiempo para el debate, porque aprovechando la interculturalidad y la internacionalidad del público, pues de lo que pretendemos es que haya un, un debate y una participación activa de vosotros también. Así que tenemos 40 minutos. Uh, hi, thank you for, for your ex exposition. And we noted that the Obama statement on nuclear disarmament was made in 2007 before he was elected president. So I was wondering if you know if he has spoken again about it after he became elected. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for this question. Yes, he did, of course, he did in 2009 in the very famous Prague uh, speech, and uh, he quoted it again in other speeches. Uh, I think it really opened a new climate among the uh, international community, and uh, of course, a very big difference with George Bush's previous. Uh, US and the US posture review before. And even in the new US posture review, there are some openings that are better than the previous ones. But of course, we would like uh, the United States to do more. And uh, the, the recent uh, vote of the Senate of a, a big uh, envelope for the renewal of some nuclear weapons is very threatening and disappointing. But um, uh, we need uh, also in the U.S. a bigger hope and a bigger civil society movement, so it becomes again um, an issue in this, within uh, the United States. Yeah, uh, yeah, I would like to ask you a question, and uh, that has to do with this, uh, this issue of disarmament, because uh, when we talk of disarmament, there is a lot of focus on... Um, weapon of mass destruction, and we seem to forget about the use of small arms and light weapons. And to my understanding, I think there is an absence of an international treaty regularizing that sector, and it's becoming very, very uh, disastrous to internal conflict, mostly in uh, sub-Saharan Africa, 
where the use of these uh, small and light uh, weapons have been very, very disastrous. I can name uh, conflict like in Rwanda, in Sierra Leone, in Liberia. And uh, so what is the civil society doing in terms of uh, pushing for uh, the regularization of this uh, small and light weapon in terms of having an international treaty uh, that can foster disarmament in most uh, internal armed conflicts. Then uh, looking at the issue of uh, disarmament generally, uh, we talk about disarmament, but what alternatives? Uh, because we've looked at uh, various um, disasters like the case of Japan recently, and um, so what is being done, because when we talk of disarmament, yes, we will disarm. Is it possible for this um, infrastructure to be, uh, uh, be turned into some kind of um, civilian use in terms of uh, energy? So that is my question. Uh, well, for the first, your first, first point, you will have a lot of answers uh, during the day, because we are going to speak about uh, all the campaigns against different weapons, uh, and they are all very important and very needed. Each weapon is fulfilling a role, and uh, of course nuclear weapons and mass destruction weapons have different roles, uh, but they are all to be destroyed, on my point of view. Um, so the question, you, you, li you linked uh, nuclear weapons with nuclear energy, is that the, was your second point? Well, um, we, it's, it's a very important and complicated issue. Uh, of course, when you build a nuclear power plant, you are not supposed to build a nuclear bomb. But badly, sometimes there are accidents, as we just saw in Fukushima, and the result looks almost the same. Uh, when the nuclear power plant explodes or has leaks or, you know. So uh, it's linked uh, and we have to work on alternatives both to nuclear weapons and to nuclear energy. I agree with you. I'd like to find, we're, we're doing a very interesting um, course in class and we've been learning about the discourse on nuclear energy. And I'd like to find out, have you been in such a setup where you have the actual people and scientists working on nuclear energy? Have you been, if you've been in, in, among, in such a forum or a conference with these scientists? Because I believe it's best to start from the heart of it if you're going to take any action against nuclear weapons. Have you been at the heart of such forums and what was, what was the kind of di discourse that was going on in this forum with these nuclear scientists and would you be able to give us any information on that? Um, well, you know, it is, it, it's come from the same uh, industry and the charge that you put on the weapons uh, are coming from uh, an enriched, the enriched uh, and the processing of the um, plutonium that is in the uh, nuclear reactor. But you can also build this without having a nuclear power plant. Um, so, and in the 44 countries that have nuclear reactors, they do not have all 
uh, nuclear weapons. So it's a political decision of a country whether the, they build nuclear weapons. And it's also a political decision to, build, uh, to use nuclear energy. Countries have decided not to have nuclear power plants. So um, the, in the two fields, uh, you have linked, but you have also, uh, it's not direct. Or, and of course, the, the researchers working uh, on nuclear energy in France, uh, the two are linked. In fact, it's the same uh, research center that has give birth to nuclear power plants and nuclear weapons. So it's the CEA. And the, some researchers of this uh, center are members of the peace movement. And of course they are working on uh, alternatives to nuclear weapons. But they defend really strongly uh, nuclear energy. So do we have to uh, stop nuclear reactors before getting rid of nuclear weapons. If it's the case, it makes it much more complicated. I think we can get rid of nuclear weapons because they are weapons and we don't want them to be ever used. And then we have to have a very big and deep debate on what source of energy are sustainable for the future of humankind and resolve it as such. But I think strategically, I, I, I believe so, if you link both, it makes more complicated to get rid of nuclear weapons in the very near future. Dos cuestiones. Una sería muy ligada a lo que se estaba preguntando ahora sobre después de la catástrofe y de. Sí, ya sé. Sí, ¿Ya, ya, ¿ya lo oyes? Yes, yes. Vale, mejor. Gracias. Eh, una pregunta estaba ligada con lo que los comentarios que está sobre eh, cómo, cómo afecta eh, la catástrofe de Fukushima y el trabajo que hay por la... Ahora las, las entidades están deben aprovechar este momento pues para, para trabajar con todo, para... para digamos reducir, controlar o energía nuclear que puede ir pues muy ligada a, a las armas nucleares, pero como bien cosas diferentes. Lo que sí que quería preguntarte es a nivel de estrategia de la campaña de las muchas entidades que hay en, en ICAN, eh, si desde este de lo, desde lo pasado en Japón si hay muchas más eh, entidades grandes entidades ecologistas si han, han, han tomado mucha más relevancia en la campaña, en vuestra campaña, si es lo mismo, si, 
si, o si eso ha cambiado vuestra manera de trabajar ¿eh? de, desde dentro, si han tomado, si han conseguido mucho más poder y la estrategia pues de la campaña en sí es diferente. Y la otra pregunta eh, sería más sobre la manera en, en que va, se quiere trabajar esta convención. Eh, porque normalmente las convenciones para prohibir eh, algún tipo de armas, normalmente nos centramos en armas eh, obsoletas, eh, armas que no tienen, que en principio pues conviene eh, prohibirlas porque así pues fabricaremos armas nuevas y el negocio continuará. ¿no? Son las que más fácilmente suelen tener éxito estas campañas. ¿no? De ahí puede haber pasado con las minas o puede haber pasado con las bombas de racimo. Eh, entonces con las armas nucleares... Eh, es más difícil ver quizá eh, hacia dónde puede ir ¿no? ¿Cuál, cuál puede ser el negocio alternativo que puede haber para, para la industria armamentística eh, entonces quería preguntarte esto ¿cómo, cómo lo trabajáis porque esto puede reducir mucho la viabilidad de prohibir o si vuestro objetivo es más conseguir eh, quizá una convención que pues con el objetivo de sensibilizar, estigmatizar el uso, como ya ha pasado, como ya quizá se ha conseguido por, otras, por esta campaña y por campañas anteriores, y porque aunque existan las armas nucleares, no sean, eh, bueno, no se puedan utilizar nunca, ¿no? aunque existan. Gracias. Yes. Uh, so, well, your your first question is going along with uh, uh, Mrs. Uh, well, question. Um, it's very different from the uh, each country situation. Yeah, very different. For example, in Germany, the people working against nuclear weapons are the same, or the campaign is very much fed with the. Uh, a campaign against nuclear power plant and this for years so it, it is very easy for them to link and to uh, take lessons from the Fukushima uh, disaster to you know make the correspondence with <coughs> nuclear weapons and nuclear energy uh, I went to a congress there they, they had planned before Fukushima to have a congress on the anniversary of Chernobyl and there was like 500 people attending, it was enormous and it's really a big case in Germany but in France where the, the nuclear power plants are seen like very important and very supported by people it's very difficult if you link the two nuclear weapons you can build a momentum on that and, but if you link the two you lose uh, <coughs> some of your support so we have to be Uh, strategically aware of the, these questions. I don't know what is the case in, in Spain. Maybe you, you could explain more about where you are <coughs> here uh, in regards to this uh, question. And are the two things linked or not at all? Uh, is there a momentum against nuclear weapons, a momentum against uh, nuclear energy? That would be uh, interesting uh, to know. But Is there, um, yes, they, all our experts, or the experts working on nuclear weapons, are experts in nuclear field. So in the last months and the last two months, they have been, uh, since Fukushima, they have, they have been uh, running around the world to speak about the, the effect 
of uh, nuclear and radiologic um, catastrophes. And of course, they have been able to uh, put uh, the, the accent on the fact that this was an accident. But what could it be? How terrible could it be if it would be in the center of a big city uh, to use a nuclear weapon? You can imagine the uh, horror of what it could be straight away. Um, so, yes, we can use, but it's not very, you know, it's complicated to use people's catastrophes for your own field, so there is a bit of opportunism there that is maybe not very easy to deal with in some, in some way. Uh, the second question, the, the convention on, on what we are working is to abolish nuclear weapons. This means the production, the maintenance, the use, of course, the threat of use, uh, and to destroy, to go to the destruction of nuclear weapons and to set, like the chemical weapon um, convention, which is uh, also planning the destruction and the inspection of the destruction of all the, uh, the chemical um, stocks. Uh, so that's the kind of convention we have been working on. But this is an example. The convention is an example. It's just to say, look, it is possible. We have found uh, ways to get rid of nuclear weapons. This is acceptable uh, in terms of international um, laws and uh, treaties that are already there. So we can do it. But the one that you are going to build, you governments, will be yours. And uh, we are not telling you what, how to do it because they hate it. So it's just an example to this uh, convention. And of course, the problem of our, one of the problem of our um, uh, campaigns against one weapon is that industry and strategists can find the next, you know, uh, weapon that will be even worse than the one you've just uh, destroyed. So um, uh, that's the whole debate on how we build security and how we build peace. And uh, of course, we should never uh, lose the focus of it. But if we have to achieve world peace and security and equality and to get rid of weapons, you know, it makes it also more difficult. So it's a way, I think, uh, to, to fight against one weapon is also a way to enlighten the whole landscape of security and to show that wars should be just erased from the surface of the earth. That's just what you, Mrs. Cummins, said before. Um, okay, I would like to get a few ideas about the focus of your strategy that you explained uh, regarding, let's say, the change or the, the transformation of the security discourse and the transformation of reality of conflicts and war since, since uh, the Cold War and since the focus uh, on nuclear deterrence, that we have more asymmetric wars, we use, there is more use of small, uh, small arms. You will highlighting, let's say, two different fields, the political field and the economic field. And there was a question before about the field of discourse and science in terms of defense intellectuals. And my interest would be to hear from you um, in your lobby work, in your strategy, how much do you cover these three, 
spheres, uh, spheres, because it seems like in the political sphere, yes, there is more and more agreement to, let's say, shift uh, from the re realities of wars and, and the discourse, but in the economic sphere, as well as in the defense intellectual sphere, um, they still seem to, I mean, their interest still seems to be very much on, on keeping nuclear weapons. So my question is, how much do you work in your strategies on these three different spheres? Is it mainly the political sphere, or do you also lobby, let's say, on economic and, and defense intellectuals? Thanks. Economic and? And defense intellectuals, the, the research. I mean, those, the people that are not only creating the weapons, but are creating the discourse that is influencing yeah. political decision-making as well as legitimizing economic interests. Um, uh, the question of the economic uh, can be quite, <coughs> could be quite easy, I mean, not to work with the industrial and to see how they could, what, what else they could do, uh, unless they would, is that what your question, less building nuclear weapons, what they should do? No, my question is really on the activities and the focus of the activities, that I understand the, the work um, the organization is doing regarding the political sphere. Yeah. My question is how much, or do you work, let's say, on companies whose interest it is to continue to produce nuclear weapons, and do you work um, on those who are actually defining the discourse, who are legitimizing why it is still necessary to have nuclear weapons, those who are creating nuclear weapons, the whole defense intellectual sphere. I mean, so these two aspects, the companies and the economic interests, and um, the, let's say the intellectual discourse. Yeah. <clears throat> Very few is done uh, in regards to the industry. Uh, on my, on my, from what I know, we do very, very little uh, to, to seek with them how, what they should do else. Maybe we did not reach this point or maybe we think it's not an issue. Uh, I don't know, because we, in my mind, the political decision makers are the most important and the people are working for them to f uh, refine their, uh, their communication strategies and, uh, well, it's, it's, it's quite difficult to, uh, to see how they would change their discourse because they are paid for that. But, uh, in the research centers and through a lot of, uh, I mean, when it's public, uh, like research centers, of course, we challenge these ideas and, of course, we try to um, present our other paradigm of security, like uh, next month, while there will be the P5 meeting in Paris, uh, we'll have a, um, a conference, a colloquy in, in the French Senate called uh, What Security After Nuclear Weapons for the World? And uh, there will be experts from the close to the government, let's say, and experts opposing. So these kind of uh, uh, meetings are very interesting and very important because, uh, but I, there was one, one month ago and I, I was there with a 
an expert from the government, and he said, yes, we know about these disarmament uh, campaigns. Uh, they have seasons. Each uh, 10 years, uh, they point and then they go down. You know, like if, if it was a question of uh, meteorology or, you know. Uh, it's not very interesting when they have this kind of approach of uh, nuclear weapon convention, but um, yes, we do try to discuss with them. Bueno, yo quería hacer un comentario y una pregunta. En mi comentario va referido a, a tanto comentario que ella ha hecho sobre las opiniones de Obama sobre su discurso en Praga desnuclearizador. Fue un discurso en el que se nos anunciaba o él ponía el énfasis en que había que destruir las armas nucleares, que íbamos a llegar a un mundo sin armas nucleares, etcétera. Pero yo creo que había que leer más detenidamente cuando Obama estaba hablando de nucleares, solo estaba hablando de unas pocas armas nucleares, no de todas las armas nucleares. Fue un discurso en el que solo estábamos hablando de unas armas que fueron diseñadas en el momento de la Guerra Fría, fueron las armas que estaban contempladas en el Star 1 y Star 2, armas de diseño que estaban pensadas para que Rusia atacara a Europa, Europa atacara a Rusia, las de corto alcance o las de largo alcance. Armas que podían llegar desde Estados Unidos a Rusia o de Rusia a Estados Unidos. Armas que fueron pensadas, diseñadas, elaboradas, confeccionadas. Cuando se concebía un tipo de amenaza mundial, pasados 30 años, esas armas no tienen sentido ni utilidad para los conflictos actuales, pero esas armas generan unos gastos económicos, porque hay que seguir haciendo un mantenimiento, una vigilancia, costes. ¿Con qué situación nos encontrábamos ahora cuando Obama hacía esos anuncios? En que algunos países del Este pedían a Europa y a Estados Unidos que pagara el mantenimiento y la supervisión de esas armas porque no tenían dinero para hacer el mantenimiento, eso por una parte. También nos encontrábamos que, aparte de los costes que generaba la vigilancia de ese tipo de armamentos, vivíamos en, o estamos en un periodo donde de, empieza ya a, hacer, a haber un consenso muy grande de que tenemos problemas energéticos con el petróleo, con los costes. Y eso produjo que, que hubo industria nuclear civil, de reactores de producción de energía civil, que decía, nos ofrecemos a reciclar el combustible fisionable de esas armas nucleares. Extraer uranio, también cada año va subiendo el precio del uranio, cada vez está habiendo más costes y empieza a ser rentable que la industria pudiera reciclar ese armamento fusionable hacia las centrales nucleares. Creo que había un cierto caldo mmm, que propiciaba que ciertas armas obsoletas pudieran dejar de ser eh, viables, que se las desmantelara y pudieran pasar a otros usos eh, el material. Creo que a veces tenemos que tener presente factores externos cuando hacemos campañas porque ciertos entornos pueden favorecerlo. Yo creo que no tenemos que perder de vista que, a pesar de que políticamente se ha hablado mucho de que vamos a un periodo de desnuclearización, no es cierto. 
solo afecta a ciertas armas de un cierto periodo, porque estratégicamente se siguen desarrollando nuevos diseños que no se contemplaban para los conflictos propios de la Guerra Fría. Yo solo tendría, vamos, para mí me parece que es clave a veces cuando las reacciones políticas, cuando no ha habido un gran movimiento social contra este armamento que surja por parte de Obama que está haciendo esa campaña, hay que saber leer hacia qué otros inputs ocurrían con estas armas. Y mi pregunta que quería pedirle sería que nos explicara un poco más detenidamente la estrategia de la campaña. Yo creo que ya nos has dicho que se dirige eminentemente a, a los políticos, pero no solamente con qué objetivo, sino qué estrategia se va, sigue la campaña de trabajo. Lo que, quiero decir, lo que quiero decir es complementario a lo que ha dicho Tica, porque iba en el mismo sentido. Eh, yo entiendo la, de la necesidad de, esta, de las campañas de desnuclearización, puesto que el peligro nuclear continúa existiendo, aunque la percepción de la sociedad no es la misma que durante la época de la Guerra Fría, eso no debemos de tener en cuenta. Europa era entonces el escenario de una posible guerra nuclear entre las dos grandes potencias. Ese peligro ha desaparecido de Europa. ¿Eh? No parece ser que en Europa tiene que haber ninguna guerra nuclear, pero en cambio persisten las armas. Y esto va de complemento con lo que ha dicho Tica. Eh... Los acuerdos que se llegaron recientemente, paralelamente a la reunión del TNP entre Estados Unidos y Rusia, yo los califico de engaño, engaño a la opinión pública, porque si se analizan en detalle los acuerdos, ya lo ha dicho ella, lo único que se acordó y se anunció a bombo y platillo es una reducción de las armas estratégicas, o sea, aquellas que sirven para atacarse mutuamente entre Estados Unidos y Rusia. Y se pasaba de 4.500 armas estratégicas por ambos bandos a 1.500, o 1.150 y 1.200. O, sea, un... o sea, esa es la reducción real. O sea, lo que estaban pactando Estados Unidos y Rusia era que entraban en una nueva etapa de digamos, de mayor distensión entre ellos. Se había llegado a un acuerdo sobre, la, sobre el escudo antimísiles que se tenía que instalar en Europa y, por lo tanto, es una buena noticia en el sentido de que haya mayor distensión entre las dos potencias, pero ni mucho menos eh, eh, en, en, en el tema de desarme nuclear podía ser una buena noticia. ¿Por qué? Por varias razones. Primero, porque solo hablaba de las armas estratégicas eh, eh, disponibles, disponibles quiere decir eh, con posibilidad de ser utilizadas, pero no hablaba de las que estaban en reserva. El tratado no contemplaba las armas estratégicas en reserva, ¿eh? ni tampoco, que son las más graves, las armas tácticas, las armas nucleares tácticas. Y hay que recordar que Estados Unidos tiene almacenadas en Europa 450, en cinco países, en Italia, en Alemania, Holanda, Bélgica y en Gran Bretaña, además de las que tienen también, por su parte, Gran Bretaña y Francia. 
Por lo tanto, las armas tácticas continúan estando en Europa. Y de estas el tratado no decía nada. ¿Por qué? Porque estas son las armas que tanto uno como el otro país no descarten ser utilizadas en posibles guerras en, 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 digamos, contra eh, los países que de alguna manera eh, pudieran llegar a alcanzarlas o hacer algún ataque con armas de destrucción masiva. Por lo tanto, el peligro persiste y yo me parece muy bien. Y es muy un, bueno saber que hay una campaña que continúa con, con estos por el desarme pero sin olvidar todos estos aspectos porque si no se dicen la, si no ponemos el acento diciendo la opinión pública la verdad sobre unos acuerdos que de alguna manera solo favorecen a las potencias no podemos tampoco eh, animar a, lo, a la población civil o a la sociedad civil para que se anime a, a apuntarse a campañas además hay otra cosa ya lo ha dicho Tica Existe un acuerdo, un contrato entre Estados Unidos y Rusia para desmantelar las armas nucleares, todas las obsoletas, porque las que se estaban, el acuerdo contemplaba deshacerse de las armas obsoletas. Y esas armas obsoletas representan eh, el contrato firmado entre Estados Unidos y Rusia para desmantelarlas, está a, a un tercio más barato del precio de mercado del uranio. Por lo tanto, Estados Unidos está haciendo un gran negocio con el desmantelamiento de las armas nucleares porque el uranio enriquecido servirá para alimentar sus propias centrales nucleares cuando el precio del uranio en el mercado se ha triplicado y lo compraban a Rusia a una tercera parte más barato. Por lo tanto, es otro aspecto que se ha mencionado y que hemos de tener muy en cuenta. Y bueno, simplemente era eso. Y además, es verdad que me he olvidado por último, el acuerdo firmado entre Estados Unidos y Rusia, tampoco contemplaba el continuar investigando sobre nuevos tipos de armas nucleares. Y, y eso se está llevando a cabo por parte de los dos, pero sobre todo por Estados Unidos. Todos hemos oído hablar de las micronuques, esas armas nucleares de tamaño reducido que pueden servir para atacar o um, destruir búnkers o posibles eh, escondrijos de bajo tierra con los cuales podían atacar a, a grupos terroristas, etcétera. Por lo tanto, también hay que hablar y decirlo claramente que las palabras de Obama o sus discursos que los hace muy buenos, en, en la realidad son puro cinismo porque ya hemos visto que la política seguida por Estados Unidos y por Barack Obama como presidente no es para animarse en este sentido de las armas nucleares, nada más. Una pequeñísima intervención. Creo que igual sería conveniente que la primera vez que eh, las personas del público intervienen, si se pueden presentar, me gustaría aprovechar la ocasión para presentar las dos personas que han hablado. Os habréis dado cuenta que son las personas que más saben al respecto, de las personas que más saben al respecto en España. Ética Font es directora del Instituto Internacional para la Paz de Cataluña y Pere Ortega es el presidente del Centro de Estudios para la Paz de las de Barcelona con el que coordinamos la sesión. Entonces, son expertos en la materia. En adelante hacemos esto, ¿no? La primera vez que intervenimos y a la siguiente es que intervine la misma persona, ya no hace falta, pero la primera vez todos, ¿no? Nos presentamos de dónde somos, quiénes somos. Gracias.
Well, there were some questions in what you said, just said, but uh, there was a also a lot of interesting points uh, that you've been uh, raising and assessing. Um, it seems like we have a trouble that with nuclear weapons that uh, is not exactly the same with other weapons. Uh, nuclear weapons are highly political and highly linked to the, let's say, the world order pyramid of the world order and uh, it makes it uh, much more difficult because there is one thing we forget and that I've just said is that 0.03% of the existing stock of nuclear weapons would be enough to induce uh, the uh, winter, nuclear winter, which means that uh, they will not be able to have any agricultural production for the next 10 years. We, this means that the whole world would be in very big trouble. Uh, so, and this is what this weapon is also about. So when, you know, this, it is it's very difficult because when you begin to speak about nuclear weapons, people say, yes, you know, uh, maybe this treaty is not, and no, the reality is that it is a weapon. It is a terrible weapon. And we want to get rid of this because of it not because we are against the United States or, you know, or, or we think that China or whatever, or just because it is a terrible weapon. And I think we, this is part of the strategy I, I wanted to expose more. Of course, we have many political reasons to get rid of these weapons, but the best one is uh, for the sake of humankind. I mean, it's just because this weapon will be used by a chance if we don't get rid of it. It's, it, it is, we are going there. There are too many, we say 2,000, you said, most of the time we speak about the weapons that are in alert. So 1,500 1, missiles there. No, there are 20,000 uh, nuclear missiles in the world. And this is enormous. Um, so we can also, the question of economics, we can go back to the question of the previous person. Uh, the, um, the, um, there have been a lot of studies on how we could shift from armament industry to disarmament industry. And this would cost a lot of money to get rid and to clean the planet from the nuclear weapons. And this could be um, let's say, uh, you know, an activity for the one uh, who are building today the nuclear weapons. Uh, the previous general secretary worked on that and he wrote uh, in the UN, they worked on that and they wrote quite a lot of uh, um, reports on how expensive it would be to go to disarmament. And we, we thought the peace benefits would be uh, strictly, you know, you could just shift money from uh, military uh, expenditures to money for development. No, you have a SAS between uh, a step between those two activities, which would be the disarmament activity, and which was, would, would really cost a lot of money, like it costs a lot of money to get rid of mines, much more than to produce them. Uh, so, uh, in a way, this would be also a, an argument 
to get quickly rid of nuclear weapons because you have to shift the industry into uh, destroying those uh, weapons. And you are right, they are using the heads, nuclear heads of the weapons in, as a fuel uh, in nuclear uh, energy. But the problem of the waste remains. What do we do with the waste of uh, uh, the nuclear waste? So the threats in Europe, I wanted to quote a report that has just been made about uh, the nuclear weapons uh, of NATO in Europe. So in Europe, as you know, uh, there are uh, the UK nuclear weapons, about uh, 200, the French nuclear weapon, about 350, and the NATO nuclear weapons, that are supposedly 280. Tell me if uh, you have not the same figures, but I think it's uh, the one generally accepted. And these are really tricky weapons because they are not uh, allowed by law because they have common keys and the non-proliferation treaty uh, doesn't authorize other than the five powers to have nuclear weapons on their territory. And uh, in fact, these nuclear weapons are stationed some, in some places in some countries in, uh, in Europe, like Germany, uh, like Belgium, uh, Turkey, yeah? huh? and Netherlands. <laughs> yeah. And uh, these weapons, uh, uh, the people in these countries are very much against the stations, even in Turkey, the, the, these missiles being there. And there have been, um, uh, during the previous NATO summit in 2010 in Lisbon, the idea that these weapons would be removed was really high. And we really thought that it could be possible. But uh, the French uh, worked so much against it and said we, we are going, you know, I don't know what bargain was behind the scene, but they managed to uh, just postpone the debate about the NATO weapons to uh, the next summit. And now a commission is speaking about it. Uh, but just uh, uh, last month, a report was released and um, Pax Christie from Netherlands went to all the uh, uh, NATO states asking them whether they would be uh, agreeing uh, that NATO uh, became uh, stopped with having nuclear weapons. And in fact, uh, 20, uh, 25 among the 28 members agreed or not opposed, would not be opposed that NATO would get rid of nuclear weapons. There was just France uh, very opposed to this, Hungary and uh, Lithuania for uh, uh, different reasons. But you know, we are close, we could go there. I mean, if we would do more in France to get, you know, uh, to say NATO should uh, uh, stop having nuclear weapons, uh, we could really get there. So sometimes we don't know that we are close to getting things and, uh, and uh, going forward. Uh, and we see we see most of the time nuclear weapons like so big and so uh, terrible and so important and so uh, fundamental weapons in the, in the world order that we forget that they are 
not so difficult to get rid of. And we've done a, also a survey in ICANN stating that 142 countries in the world would agree or at least not oppose signing convention of abolition of nuclear weapons. And this is a good start. Imagine put 142 countries around the table saying we are going to work on a nuclear weapon convention. If you want to join us at one point, you can come, you countries, other states, but that's what we are going to work on. And that is exactly what we are doing. The pressure will come from the non-smokers, the non-addicted. The pressure will come from outside. And that's why it would be really good uh, if uh, Spain would get on this boat and uh, uh, as a state uh, play a role for the disarmament of the world and for a nuclear weapon convention. So I hope uh, in this audience there are people who think that uh, it would be an important goal um, and uh, that will endorse the campaign and, and uh, help and join. It's a very important uh, campaign and Everyone can be involved at his level and in his own field of interest because it's also a, a global campaign for peace and security. Okay. One. Does it work? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, my name is Sylvie Brigo, and I am one of the next uh, speaker. And uh, sorry to take the floor, but I just wanted to really thank you, Ariel, for a wonderful presentation. Uh, I think it, uh, it's really great, and I am a French citizen on top of dealing with landmines and cluster munitions as well. But as a French citizen, I feel particularly uh, kind of um, uh, touched by what you just said and, and the responsibility of, of my country in, in all of this, uh, in blocking all of the momentum that we can feel now uh, is uh, growing uh, for, for the Convention on Nuclear Weapons. So, uh, so thank you for, for you know, uh, th this presentation, um, and I think I really like what some of your slides when you were, when you were saying, Francis, that we have to make the most of it, what, of what we feel now and what we have around us now. Uh, I really recommend you to go to the ICANN website and participate on the 25th of June Action Alert. As you said, I mean, everything, everyone can do something, and, uh, and that's how we ban cluster, ban, uh, cluster munitions and landmines, by you know, having this, this momentum growing. And that's true that I agree, it's a bit touchy to actually use what is being, uh, what we can see now with the, the Fukushima uh, situation. But I must say that's also because of the situation that the momentum can grow, even if we are speaking about energy and not bombs, uh, I think it is quite fair to say that we probably would not have reached the ban on cluster munitions without uh, the horrific and horrible uh, bombing of South Lebanon by Israel with cluster munition in, in, in 2006. It's also because people suddenly see the human impact, see the reality of, of what these weapons are producing on civilian populations, on civilians, people like you and me, that suddenly they say something can be done. And so, somehow I feel as a citizen activist as well, but as a citizen that Fukushima is also one example. And I was reading what you just uh, put on, so on one of your slides with this doctor, the French doctor, going yeah. to, the, to the place. I mean, that's horrific. Imagine that, that we could see this today on the televisions. You know, you, we would have the convention tomorrow. So um, I, I think, uh, thank you very much for that. Um, 
I think um, I wanted also perhaps to build on the questions from uh, you, Madam, on, on working on the different spheres. I, I also very much agree that I think the political ones is really the one to reach out because, you know, we are especially in Europe and kind of in the Western hemisphere, as they call it, in democracies, etc. So a lot has to do as well with holding our governments accountable for what they are doing, for the decisions they are making, and for the impact that these decisions have on people in this world. And, um, and I think that, uh, of course, we know how uh, important the industry uh, lobby is behind the nuclear uh, weapons, as it was as well behind the cluster munition uh, industry and, and to some extent landmines as well, but perhaps to a lesser extent. However, it, it's normally to political people to actually tell the industries why indeed they should, what they should do or not do. And, and I very much agree that given the amount of resources we need to actually do all of this campaigning, I think it's important to target right and, and, and talk to the politics who are supposed to uh, represent us, but also understand the industry mindset and, and, and development, of course. And, and I think it's important, um, someone I think mentioned the research and the fact that the need to be really informed and to follow up on new development on weapons, etc. Uh, that also make, makes our campaign much more effective mm. if we know what's going on. And I, I fully agree, we need to reach out to these spheres as well, but our primary target, I think, remains the, the, politic, uh, the, the political sphere. Um, perhaps one question uh, for you, Ariel. I was wondering, what's next then on the campaign? And what partnership already have you already established, perhaps, with some countries? I know that in the landmine and cluster munitions spheres, we have, you know, we, Norway is, is a strong country. We had worked with Austria. We had worked with Belgium. Uh, we had worked with some countries in, in Europe um, and a few other, Australia and a few other that I'm, I'm forgetting now. But I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit on, 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 on this partnership and it is easy, not easy, and uh, voila. Thank you. Yes. So we, you know, thank you very much for what you said. It was very nice and important. Um, well, uh, th there are a lot going on behind the scene, uh, and especially around uh, Norway also, uh, which is very much involved in building um, momentum among the states. Uh, also, the Middle Power Initiative, which is not new, but they are really working on uh, trying to uh, popularize the convention and broaden the network of states. Uh, and what is next after the 2010 NPT as political uh, international events um, is to, to lobby <laughs> the International Red Cross. Uh, <laughs> well, it is very important for, it has been very important in all the, the previous processes that the International Red Cross, which is a, um, a committee which is an, an intergovernmental and half-governmental body, uh, says his word on humanitarian law in regards to also nuclear weapons. And we are really working on the, with them, with uh, lawyers and uh, uh, all kinds of specialists, uh, to see how this can, because they have their Congress coming in November, so how this 
uh, nuclear weapon issue can come uh, strongly uh, among them and become to be uh, an important concern and for them to be active because of course they, they have stated things against nuclear weapons but what we want is really them to, to say these weapons have to be um, uh, forbidden and abolished and that would be really great. Also in 2012 will be the new cycle on nuclear um, non-proliferation treaty and we want to build more and more uh, presence of uh, civil society and dynamic there and um, a very important achievement of the previous year NPT conference was that there will be a conference in 2012 on a nuclear free zone in the Middle East and uh, Israel agreed to participate at the NPT so we are waiting for the, the country to decide which, which will take the, uh, the responsibility to organize uh, but it will be it has been stressed again by the UN a few days ago so this will happen and you can imagine how important it would be to begin discussions among the countries of the Middle East sitting around a table to go toward a nuclear free zone in the Middle East including from Iran to Israel so of course to be at the same table already would be very strange and great and wonderful um, but even if their experts just begin to consider sitting at the table would be uh, a very good progress and if we manage to build a momentum in the Middle East countries well I think we can really build something and do something good so thank you for referring to our website it's icanw.org and there are many things from all over the world of what uh, are the partners involved the many different networks like physicians, uh, uh, scientists, journalists, uh, mayors, etc. Uh, involved uh, toward a world free of nuclear weapons and uh, I hope you will be one of them very soon. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much.